ASI season three, episode 21. As a reminder, season three is about results. Let's kick this thing off from 6 a.m. Here you go. Hey, hey, well, I'm a paralyzed soul and I don't know where to go. Well, I should open my eyes. Yeah, I should open my eyes. I'm a left out only child. The attention gets me high and I'm so unafraid. I like fortune and fame. Somewhere in the mid-80s, my heart did stop. Um, my chemical romance, right? My struggles with impulse control. My struggles with addiction. My life pouring out had me in the back of an ambulance. Uh, I'm going to talk about that, some of that, in this episode today. And I'm going to talk about, in a realistic honest way, my critical eye towards the 12 steps, my, um, my own prejudices towards the 12 steps. My friend John today on the podcast, John Glisson from the Purity Report, uh, love this guy. A lot of times when I don't know, I like to bring on people who do, right? I like to study up and I, and I like to talk to folks who, who have a heart for other addicts like John does. Man, I pray that your heart is open to this message today. Um, I really, my eyes have been open to some results, right? The Carnes group talking about 12 steps and community and being honest and open and how that does lead to results in something as hard to kick as sexual addiction. Um, it's real, right? There is hope. Uh, for those of you who don't know, John Glisson runs the PurityReport.com, um, a great website to start the process of talking about your compulsion. If you struggle with sexual addiction, this is a great place to start the ball rolling in talking about it. All right. I uh, got an email just yesterday from a guy who, you know, I don't know what to do. I can't, I feel like I can't tell anybody. It seems like that's what he was trying to say. Like, I, I'm so afraid to talk about this. Um, if you're in that place where you haven't told anybody about your addiction, just hit pause right now on your device. However, you're listening to me right now, go to the purityreport.com, bookmark it, and, and make an effort to get on that website and 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 just start to, to start to talk about it man and john and and his crew man willing to lend a helping hand in uh shedding some light right and pulling you out of the shadows and uh cracking the <laughs> insert metaphor here right let's kick this thing off org. Yes, that is the website. And my guest today is John Glisson from thepurityreport.com, which is a great, it's not just great, John, it's an awesome little uh, community online for people who struggle with sexual purity, sexual integrity. Um, I love what you do on, on the Purity Report, John, and uh, we're here to rap about the 12 steps. Yes. Thanks, man. Always good to be here. A second, a second uh, interview with the uh, the Glisten man. Hey, hey, here we are. Three hours, three hours separated, but uh, you know, close in heart. So 
That's right. That's right. From Seattle to Georgia. Sun yeah. is still up here. It's sunny. It's hot. And uh, anyway, I'm not going to talk about the weather in Seattle. We're going to get we're going to get right into it. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you and maybe you talk about some of your experience with 12-step. You're not like a, a super uh, doctorated expert, but you you know these uh, steps and you're uh, you're pretty familiar with this material, right, John? Yeah, yeah, I've I've come to really appreciate the 12 steps uh in my own recovery and just as a method of recovery. So, yeah, absolutely. And you're involved in a uh weekly 12 step group and in a leadership in that group right now, right? Yep. Yeah, we have a 12 step recovery meeting at my church, Revolution Church in Canton, Georgia, every Monday night, 6:30 p.m. So, if you're in the area, drop by. We'd love to have you. We have uh really recovery for any addiction. So we have lots of folks dealing with drugs and alcohol, folks dealing with pornography. We have both men and women, and child care is provided. So uh, come come one, come all. <laughs> folks who deal with uh, impulse control issues of all kinds, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, also uh, codependency, you know, eating disorders. I mean, we, we run the gamut, but uh, it's all 12 steps based uh, recovery very cool um a lot of folks who've been listening to the show for a while um know some of my issues with 12 step um some of my own injuries and pains over it um my experience with 12 step was uh i believe i was 17 when the state of washington uh i'll give you a little story when I was 16 years mm-hmm. old, I, I broke into my stepfather's trailer. Right, I grew up. I grew up white, poor. Okay, but the white man's ghetto, the trailer park. Right. <laughs> so my my first stepdad uh, broke into his uh, trailer and stole multiple half gallons of booze. So my friends and I started, you know, and we're like 16, 17. I think the oldest was 18 or 19. Um, we start consuming this alcohol, and I started to consume quite a bit of it. I had one uh, half gallon of rum. Some of it had been drank out of it, but I, I proceeded to try and finish that off in one night. Now, I uh, ended up, a long story short, I had an alcohol overdose. Uh, I died for two minutes. That's <laughs> how bad wow. it was. They, they stumped my stomach three times, and... Um, so it was just it was just really bad. I didn't get wow. my. Uh, by the way, I did. I never did get my near death experience. Like, I, you know, I feel a little ripped off by that. Like, I didn't get to go down the tube. You know, I didn't get to meet Jesus for a few minutes and then get sent back. So mm. <laughs> it's bummer. I know. Right? You read books about that. Come on, man. Yeah, what a rip off, man. You could you could have written a book like you could have been way ahead of Burpo, man. I mean, come on. I know. Truth be told, I don't remember most of that whole day. I think that a big, I, yeah, I, I blacked out most of the whole, the whole experience altogether. But anyway, uh, so the state of Washington, um, they asked my stepfather if he wanted to press charges, and graciously enough, my stepfather said that I had probably learned my lesson. You know, having your clothes cut off you and, and having your stomach pumped three times and having a brush with death, he figured that I'd I'd, uh, but the state of Washington decided that they would not, not prosecute me if I agreed to go through a recovery program, which I did. And by that time, I was, I was 17. Um, it was at the courthouse in a little city, Arlington. You know, I was the jurisdiction I was in when everything went down. So I, I, I drove my mom's car without my driver's license because <laughs> she worked. And there was no other way to get there to the courthouse and to have these these twelve step meetings and that's what they were were twelve step meetings. Um, and I Alcoholics Anonymous AA meetings. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I just had a real negative outlook of it at that point in my life. Just having my arms folded, you know, I do exactly what I want to do. I don't I don't have a disease, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Um, I had a friend. I, you know, I, 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 I hung with a jacked up crowd, you know, uh, undesirable, so to speak. I had one friend who entered into a, uh, a drug addiction, 12 step group who ended up committing suicide. Um, 
I was kind of one of those bad kids that he shouldn't hang around. And then he ended up offing himself. And that, that injured my soul a bit. Uh, another guy, a friend of mine, went through an AA group. And he, like, his light just went out. Like, he, he had decided and concluded that this alcohol thing was, for him, a big part of his life. Do it anymore. So he was just living one day at a time. And, 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 and he just, you know, he lost his passion. He wasn't the same guy anymore. And, and so that was another thing that I had filed away as, yeah, 12 steps, bad. So sure. um, I wanted to address some of that. And, and, you know, and a lot of folks in the past, they agreed with a lot of the stuff that I said. Um, the first one I wanted to talk about and maybe just kind of bounce off of you, because I really have looked at this from a different perspective. Of, and I really want to get to the roots of, of the positives that are in 12 steps. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, also be honest about about the negatives, because a lot of folks out there do like that's part of the dissonance they're trying to solve when it comes to going to a twelve step group. Um, yeah. Does that make sense, John? It does make sense, absolutely. Yeah. So where do you want to start, man? Where do you want to jump in? Um, right about the disease area, and I still struggle with this one, but I think that maybe in in Christian theology. Uh, this is something that that is brought to light more under under a, a Christian theological framework than just mm-hmm. um, an excuse for someone's behavior, right? Like, for example, I don't go to 7-Eleven and pick up a six-pack of influenza. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, alcohol is a disease. Like, okay, then why don't people, you know, that's just, why? No, it's not. It's, it's a behavior that you do. It's maybe a bad habit. But the whole disease thing, it's kind of not taking personal responsibility for our compulsion. Yeah, no, obviously uh, a lot of 12-step communities in particular, um, NA, Narcotics Anonymous, in their blue book, is very explicit about using the term disease. Um, And uh, our women's group leader, um, and our Monday night group uh, has 13 years sober from from drugs through Narcotics Anonymous. She's a beautiful Christian woman and sponsors other women and leads this recovery group. You know, I think that from a Christian perspective, the disease isn't the addiction. The disease is the sin disease. Right. You know, that's that's really the sin disease. I don't think that any theologian would have a problem saying that every person on the planet has a sin disease. Not sins, little s, plural, but sin, big S, singular, right? Right. That's the sin disease. And I think that, uh, you know, kind of reframing what um, what the 12 steps are referring to inside of a Christian context, you know, Christ-centered 12-step recovery is very powerful the more and more it was secularized and kind of psychologized in some way, the less and less it had the spiritual element right. What I mean by that is if you look at the steps and you look at step 12, for instance, uh, step 12, you know, the, all the leadership experts tell you to begin with the end in mind, right? Right. Uh, So beginning with the end in mind, looking at step 12, having had, a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. We carry this message to those who still suffer and try to practice these principles in all our affairs. You can see very clearly how really there's a very um, subtle kind of repackaging of a great commission style message right there. Beginning with the end in mind, right? A spiritual awakening. Uh, but uh, one of the things that's, that's interesting to me, you know, carrying the message to those who still suffer, that sounds a whole lot like, uh, you know, going into all the world <laughs> and uh, making disciples of all nations. That sounds a, a whole lot like the Great Commission to me. Obviously, it's repackaged, but, uh, you know, we're carrying the message that there is hope for those who are suffering with addictions in Christ. And these 12 steps, one of the things that I really personally have enjoyed about the 12 steps is when you first come into recovery, 
it can be really, really confusing. Um, right. And you know that so things like, are all I'm not exactly. right, like like for me, I'm not here to have a spiritual awakening. I think that would be my negative yeah. attitude. Either to serve my when I, when it was the state forcing me to, I was there just to serve my time so I could get out. But when it was, I was there was a part of my I went to a meeting once, I vaguely because I was heavily addicted to amphetamines, and and I sat there. And it was kind of like, I think at that point, I felt like I'm here because I want to be fixed, John. Like, I, I, don't yep. spirit, I don't know about spiritual awakening. That sounds cool. But right now, I, I'm trying not to kill myself, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's one of the things that programs like Narcotics Anonymous actually do a, a pretty fair job at addressing. Is, uh, and it does. I mean, Relapse is a life and death situation for those who are in certain drug addicted situations. It is life or death. The next relapse could be their last, right? So, uh, I get what you're saying about the spiritual awakening and that is absolutely true. But, regardless of that, looking at the steps and reading any step literature, um, and just taking it straight up as face value, the 12 steps offer a spiritual solution for an addiction. That is what they offer. Um, that is the entire heart of a 12-step program is a spiritual solution, not a physical solution. It's not, you know, it, there is a fix me um, involved, but none of the 12 steps um, in any program says stop drinking, stop using drugs, stop right. lusting. You know, stop using pornography. It's not in the 12 steps. Um, and so this is where kind of the, for me, one of the things that I really have learned to appreciate is marrying the 12-step process with spiritual formation. Um, right. And so, like, if you look at um, Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard, he very explicitly, you can quote him as saying that any serious program of spiritual formation is going to significantly look like the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. That is my re rehashing, but that's almost a verbatim quote from Dallas Willard in Renovation of the Heart. And right. what that means is that the spiritual solution to, you know, a, a physical issue, you know, it's a physical issue that is a manifestation of a spiritual problem. Um, Very and true. Then, and that's one thing I like about it, too, is that I've been studying, you know, theology and psychology, like, side by side. Like, right. I'm, I'll, I'll listen to lectures at Berkeley and Yale, and then I'll listen to lectures at, at Reformed Theological Seminary. And then there's this, mm -hmm. this college, Liberty College, which actually has a class on um, the integration of mm -hmm. psychology and theology. And, and pointing to the 12 steps, one, the 12 steps is, is a beautiful example of that because it's yeah the court mandated 12 steps that's that's a tough sell man when somebody comes in and they are active in their addiction and they are mandated by the courts to be there yeah. and the the, the, right. the odds of success for that person are unfortunately very low and uh yeah. i i really don't think that's a fault of the steps as much as it is the fault of that person sitting there. You know, you're talking about personal responsibility. It's not the 12 steps fault that that guy's sitting there with his arms crossed. It's that guy's fault that he's sitting there with his arms crossed, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's personal responsibility, not 12 step responsibility. Although, I mean, he could, he could be sitting in the back seat of a church with his arms crossed. Now I, you know, we would like to say in evangelicalism that, well, you know, the Holy Spirit can touch him. Well, that's absolutely true. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't deny that one bit that, that happened to me, <laughs> you know, but that's where I, I personally really, um, appreciate Christ centered 12 step recovery. Um, because I, you know, I was mentioning that, you know, when you first really do enter recovery, like, okay, I'm ready for something to change here. This has got to change. or I'm going to lose my marriage. This has got to change or I'm going to lose my life. You've got to change or I'm going to lose my job. You know, the consequences, right, the pain is greater than the uh, cost of change, and that is when you're ready, <laughs> right? True. 
but then you come to, to this place, and you're like, well, what do I do now? And that's where um, one of the things that I enjoy about the 12 steps is it removes a lot of ambiguity for those coming into recovery. Um, and, uh, you know, okay, well, this is what you do, right? Uh, you take these steps. You, get, you go to meetings. You get a sponsor. You work the steps. I mean, those are the, the three, the three, you know, it's a mantra of any AA group is get a sponsor, go to meetings, work the steps. Get a sponsor, go to meetings, work the steps. You know, get right. a sponsor, go to meetings, work the steps. Um, and, uh, you know, when you get a good sponsor who's been sober for a while and you actually do work the steps, um, then uh, it's, it's a pretty uh, amazing process and uh, quickly discover for those who genuinely work the steps, uh, somewhere around step two, step three, they understand that, you know what, I come to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity, um, and then I make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. Well, whoa, care? Care. Okay, God and care. Those are some interesting words that I maybe never heard before, because I didn't think God gave a bleep about me. But this step is telling me to turn my, my will over to the care, quote, unquote, of God. Well, where was God when blankety, blankety, blank, right? right. Um, so it really challenges uh, the viewpoint of an addict because here's the thing. You know, I've, I've been using singular language up till now, but the first word of the 12 steps is we, right? We admitted that we are powerless over our addictions and our lives have become unmanageable. So every pronoun in the 12 steps is personal plural. It's we, us, our. There is no me, there is no I, there is no mine, because that is the essence of the addict. That's right. right? The, me, the me paradigm has got to be broken because, I mean, addicts are just perpetual... I mean, we're, we're victims. We have a very strong victim mentality. We're grandiose. You know, everything is, you know, it's not, you know, there are two sides to the whole grandiosity paradigm. You know, you're either like the big flamboyant party animal, you know, grandiosity, everything's bigger than life, or you go way over to the other end of the spectrum where it's all, you know, you have these grandiose pout fests where you just pouty, pouty, pouty man. And, uh, or, you know, some in between or swinging back and forth between the two, but everything is always so huge. And uh, I'm just, you know, I mean, you, you've been there, I've been there and we've seen it in yeah. lots of other people. It also you know? takes John, uh, it also takes a good leadership, you know, and I don't want to, mm. you know, take back from mm-hmm. the responsibility of the guy in the chair, so to speak, but You're there right. are absolutely right. groups where there's some folks who just like you've burnt out or something, you know, maybe they take a break for a while as a leader, some of these guys, and, and, and mm-hmm. step back. You know, I, I almost, you know, right. in, the, in the church world, there's there's guys who just become self-righteous, and, and it, yeah. you know, that can happen in a 12-step group as well, um, where, yeah, the, no where the leadership has, it, it has stopped loving people, you know? They yeah. lost their... No question. Exactly, and, but there's that. Yeah, that, that's important. The leadership is important, and not all meetings are the same. Um, no. You know, and, and I've, uh, I've told I've told guys, listen, if you don't like that meeting, find another meeting. Different. There's other meetings, especially if you're in a, a pretty big city, you know. But if you've yeah. gone to five meetings in the last year and you've hated the leadership in all of them, there's probably you should probably look in the mirror, right? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And. You know, there is something to be said for meetings that have bad leadership. I mean, when you look at the 12 traditions, as an example, the 12 traditions are what actually frame what a meeting should look like. Um, I know of some meetings here in the Atlanta area um, that I would not send people to. Like, okay, right. what, what meetings are you looking to go to? Okay, yeah, I, I don't know about that meeting. Go check it out and let me know. Um, that meeting over there, you don't want to go to that meeting because they don't follow the traditions. Um, And I know that from reports from multiple people who have gone to that meeting. And, you know, I'm sure that there's some people getting sober over there and that's, that's great. But uh, at the end of the day, I've, I've heard from several people that, you know, they really uh, aren't following the traditions. And, 
And, you know, in our meeting, we don't make a big deal out of the traditions because we're in kind of a church environment. We get to blend things up a little bit. But, uh, but I do look to gain some wisdom on how to run a recovery meeting from the 12 traditions because, uh, you know, like it or not, tens of millions of people have lasting sobriety from alcohol through Alcoholics Anonymous. Tens of millions. Yeah, by far and away, the most successful recovery program ever invented. By far, That's not right. even close, not even a close second um, in any other program, not even close. Um, and there's and so, numbers, you know, and I'll address this because, uh, you know, somebody maybe have heard about some of these articles um, from in New York where they've had in the last five years or something like that not a lot of success in this area. And I think that, yep. again, what, what John and I would be saying is, what kind of 12 steps are you talking about? What kind of um, recovery or rehab programs and, and what kind of framework are, are those under? Because, you know, we can just throw it off and just throw it all into one lump basket and call it 12 steps, but it's done a lot differently by a lot of different folks, isn't it? It is, absolutely. And, you know, to be honest, um, I think some of the folks who do it the worst are some of the church programs. Yeah. And I hate to say that. But the reason yeah. is because they try and kind of repackage things a bit. Um, and here's what, here's what church programs will often do. And I understand, I, I really understand why this happens, but I think that something gets lost in translation. So uh, step three is an example. We turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him to be. Oh, wait a minute now. Um, that that makes my Christian spidey senses tingle. You know, my my doctrine my doctrine alarm is going off now. Yeah, um, I've been you there, know, man. The theology siren is spinning, and uh, you know, ooga, as we understand him. Hey, man, I understand him. He's Jesus. Come on, why why the ambiguity? Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, here's the thing, you know, you got somebody who is already struggling over, well, God cares, whatever. And so then, you know, finding as, as a, a 12 step and some of the traditional 12 step language would say a God of your own understanding. It is an important process. Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time someone doesn't go from, you know, black black-hearted heathen to save in an instant. There's a process. You know? There's a process where they begin to think about God, where they begin to accept God. And it's really step two, where they came to believe. Came to believe. That's step two. Came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Um, and, you know, came to believe. In the uh, Sexaholics White Book, Sexaholics Anonymous white book in step two. They they break down the came to believe in step two is, you know, came. You just come to the meetings. You just come. Come to the meeting. You come okay. to the meetings. And you came to. Came to. It's like the prodigal. The prodigal son, you know, he came to himself, right? It's like suddenly after you've been coming for a little while, you come to a few meetings, you hear some stories, you look around, you see some guys who are sober, and you realize that this is insanity, which is, of course, the second part of step two is actually asking you to admit that you're insane by enacting right. this way. Um, and then, uh, you know, you came to, huh, it's like smelling salts suddenly have been cracked under your nose while you're sitting in a meeting one day, you know, yeah. you came to, and then you came to believe. And that's where you actually come to faith. Step two is actually all about hope because step one leaves you flat raw. That's right. We admit that we're powerless over our addictions. Our lives have become unmanageable. Man, well, that just sucks. What am I going to do now? And that's when you move into step two, which gives you hope. You know, step two is the hope step. And then uh, once you have that hope, you move into step three of actually surrendering to God, who you have come to believe has the power to restore you, right? Um, right. And, of course, in a, in a Christian context, we do peel away some of that ambiguity, but at the same time, we don't shove it down people's throats, you know. And one of the ways I think that we can shove it down people's throats is by, you know, by changing the language um, such that there is no 
opportunity for someone to come to God on their on their own terms for a minute, you know. Um, right. And I think that God allow God allows for that. He I know He allowed allowed for that with me. They're not theological statements; they're spiritual statements. If you go back to some of the history and, and you know the Oxford group, and a lot of this is birthed out of um, Christian theology, right? I mean, very much. That, so. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. The the AA Big Book is littered with scripture that's just unreferenced. They just don't give you the chapter and the verse. Yeah, it's littered with scripture. Right, and it can come under the, the it can come under the guise, and, and, and this is what, if, what we talk about it at Mars Hill Church. We have a, a, a series of recovery, kind of recovery groups right. for, uh, called redemption groups, and one of the, the right. attitudes that we try and, and make sure that we have at heart, you know, and not that I'm a leader there, but from what I've heard, it is, is a taste mm-hmm. and see. The Bible talks about that. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah. Like, that's what we want. You know, we're not trying to shove Jesus down your throat, but but if you taste and see, like, come, like Absolutely. you're talking about, come to these meetings. These people are exactly. Like, come to believe. Like, yeah, they're come, all come freaks. To believe. They're yeah. all freaks like me. They're all freaks like me, John. <laughs> Whoa. You know, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm not surrounded by a bunch court. of freaks, yeah. and something feels feels strangely warm about it. You know. That's right. I'm kind of aren't old. our hearts weren't our hearts burning within us? <laughs> That's right. Um, you and, know, and, and um, the taste and see it is so important with with Christian leadership, especially. You know, and, and there's some of this like you're talking about, man. I agree with you totally. Some of these twelve step groups and churches, and then they'll try and bait you, and then they'll try and shame you, which is horrible. Like, yeah, what are absolutely. you doing? Do you don't even understand? The, you know, the, the basic, you know, like Jesus would tell the Pharisees, you, you, you're you not dealing with the weightier parts of the law. You guys are running yeah. around counting and, you know, oh, man. Yeah. So true. Well, and the spiritual formation piece, you know, I really enjoy some of the, some of the things that I believe the Holy Spirit is doing in spiritual formation. You know, it's a very interesting right. term, spiritual formation versus spiritual growth which is a term that we're, that we're much more familiar with. I mean, I don't mind the term spiritual growth, but one of the things that I think Christians communicate without thinking is here's the, here's the reality. The reality is every single human being that is ever born on this planet has a spirit, right? That's right. Um, yeah. they just, they, the, the question is, you know, are they born again or not? Do they know Jesus or not? Um, that's, right. a, that's an important, very important question and should not be, you know, glossed over. But the reality is, and this is the way that Willard would put it also, every person has a spirit, and every person's spirit has been formed. Right? right. It's been formed by their experience in this world, by their family, by, you know, the schools, by every experience that we have in life, you know, shapes us spiritually by the choices we make into Christ-likeness or worldliness. There are only two ways about it. Um, and obviously it's only shaping us in Christ-likeness to the extent that we are doing it by, uh, you know, grace-driven effort. Um, that's right. And, that's, and, that's, and I, would, I would enter also, you know, the choices we make and also the, the lessons we've learned. And, and some right. of the, you know, for me, I've had to, I had to address the lies mm-hmm. that I learned. Like, I learned lies. Yeah that I made right. choices based on, on what I thought was truth, but was, was a lie, no. you know? Yeah. And, and so it's also unpacking some of that stuff in history. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And there is a right and, and wrong. Yeah. There, yeah, absolutely. There, there, well, there is an absolute truth. How about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there is yeah. an absolute and there is a constant, not, not in the universe, outside of the universe. There is a constant, then that constant is God, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, just that alone is a huge paradigm shift for our postmodern relativistic culture to say, you know, well, there is no absolute truth, which, of course, violates the law of non-contradiction. It says a statement cannot be, you know, cannot contradict yeah. itself and be true. So there is yeah, no absolute truth. Are you absolutely sure? <laughs> it contradicts yeah, that's itself. That's right. It has no an absolute intellectual but, uh, integrity. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But that. But I digress. But you know, the uh, the steps really 
address a lot of this through the process of working through the 12 steps um, in a good group, you know, with good leadership, as you mentioned. Uh, they really do address a lot of it. And they, they address, again, this, you know, spiritual solution to this physical addiction um, or mental addiction. One of the other interesting pieces about the steps is that it's all focused on the will. You know, the, the, key that, the key that unlocks recovery, no matter what program you're in, but specifically in the 12 steps is addressed, like directly, is willingness. What are you willing to do? Are you willing to give this up? Are you willing to take these steps? Are you willing to admit powerlessness, unmanageability? Are we willing to, to believe? Are we willing to turn our will and our lives over? Are we willing to take an inventory? Are we willing to admit to another human being, God and ourselves, the exact nature of our wrong? Willing, 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 you know? Um, and the, spirit, the, the steps, actually, steps three and steps uh, six specifically ask, they specifically address the will uh, of a person. You know, the part of us that desires and chooses things. <laughs> And right. that's where addiction lives. That's where addiction lives. It's a will that has been hijacked by a substance or by a behavior. It's a will that we have given it over, you know. Um, yeah. We've given and ourselves over I, to our addiction. That's somewhere that I, I also was pretty frustrated with um, was like the serenity prayer, right? Like I, I understand more because I've learned more. Um, today, but it used to bug me, the serenity prayer, because it just created, in my mind, confusion, right? Like, um, okay, is it is it God going to fix me, or I got to fix myself? I'm so confused. You know, I kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> just end with the serenity prayer. Yeah. I remember, I, I just had a lot of anger issues, right. John, I did. Well, so, God, you know, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's right. Right. Yeah. You know, and like, yeah, angry uh, and, uh, over that's how messed up I was. No, I hear you. And uh, yeah, I, I, I can get that. I can certainly see how a guy with his arms crossed in a, you know, court ordered recovery meeting is hearing the serenity prayer, like, you like, <laughs> you know, yeah. serenity. What, is it, what does serenity even mean? And there is a sense that, uh, you know, the language a lot of times the language of the 12 steps, I mean, the AA Big Book was written originally in 1936, I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the first 164 pages of that book that make up the main program are largely unchanged from that original release of the book. It's been right. re-released. I think it's, the Big Book is in its fourth edition now. But, uh, you know, the first 164 pages of the book are very much largely the same so when you read it you're like man that's not the way people talk today or write today and it's not that's the way bill w right. wrote in the late in the late 30s <laughs> but uh you know so he talks about going to the sanitarium for your uh for your alcoholism for your alcohol problem that's an interesting thing when was the last time you heard about somebody going to the sanitarium i i, I don't know of anybody but uh, apparently that right. happened. <laughs> that's right um but, you know, but there are a lot of things that he mentions in very clear language that, uh, for instance, you're thinking about relapse, you know, people who are relapsing in their addiction. Um, on page, I believe it's 13 or 14, um, he talks about how his friend says, as Bill W. was in recovery, how his friend is telling him, mentoring him in the 12 steps, basically sponsoring him, that if he was not willing to enlarge and perfect his spiritual life, that he would not be ready to face the trials that were certain to come, and it was only a matter of time before he would drink again. That's important. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> because, I mean, you think it's enlarge and perfect your spiritual life. I mean, you know, and that's where, that's, the, that's what the one day at a time is. One day at a time is not... I'm white knuckling it today. That's not what one day at a time means in traditional 12 step recovery. What it means is today I had better be working on my spiritual growth, 
on my spiritual enlargement, you know, on my connection with God, because it, this is a, remember, a spiritual solution to my addiction, not a white knuckling, you know, just making it through another day. I mean, that's, that's a dry drunk right there. I mean, your friend that's was right. like, you know, the lights went out is because he was a dry drunk is what they, they call it in the program. Obviously, you've heard that term before because it's very oh. common, very, very common. You know, and then you have another other people who first come into recovery and think like, "Wow, I'm free. I don't, I don't struggle anymore." You know, and uh, there's there's a thing called the pink cloud. You ever heard of the pink cloud? <laughs> the pink cloud. I don't think I've heard that one. Yeah, that one's that one's kind of a newcomer a newcomer syndrome. The people who first come into recovery and they they get you know their first thirty days and that kind of thing, and and they don't seem to have this compulsion anymore. It's kind of like the new Christian, you know, when you first get right, saved, I mean, right. really sick. You know, and you're like, man, I don't, I don't, you know, I, it feels so good. I feel empowered. I feel strong. I feel, you know, that I don't have this temptation. And it's the pink cloud, you know, is, is what it's called in recovery uh, term. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah, that's not in any of the literature necessarily, but that's something in a, a lot of fellowships will talk about the pink cloud. Oh, yeah. But well, it, it wears it, off. It's basically the honeymoon phase of recovery, and, and it wears off, and reality sets in, you know. That's right. I've heard some and, uh, uh, some folks talk about how that may have killed, um, God, I forget his name, the the kid from Glee. Um, that that may be what was part of his demise. And people are speculating, and we don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you come out of recovery, you come out of rehab, and you think, oh, man, I got this thing kicked. I got this thing cured. Right. And you feel like that. But, you know, it, like right. you say, man, it's being honest about. And I think like you're talking about, Bill W., because I guess in my mind what rises up is the kind of um, 12-step savior complex, you know, going to the negative side. But it, it really is um, you're going to worship. And I think that's another theological thing that, I, that I've got behind, that God created yep. us to worship. That's why we exist. We exist every day. We get up. And we pour out. We spend another day of our lives, and we're going to do something that day, and that is worship. It's not the music of church, you know. It's it's what it's how our lives. <laughs> I was about to poke fun at that. You mean that God created us to sing songs? Is that what you yeah, mean? exactly. It's it's how our no, lives are pouring mean. out each and every day. And you're right. I I have and uh, my friend Leo talks about this a lot. That that addicts are maybe dialed into a different spiritual frequency than a lot of folks. And we worship at a, at a higher, I don't know, frequency or something because we are so like if I like you, you know what you were saying. If I don't, if I don't pour out in this way, I'm gonna I'm gonna pour out in that way over there. You know, I'm gonna pull in that direction if I'm not, you know, keeping yeah. my 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 eye on my heart and, and going in this direction. Yeah, man, there there's so um, much. I mean, there is so much to talk about in uh, in yeah, there is. I got to wrap all this thing. I run out. I about ran out of time. But man, John, <laughs> thanks again for being here. I, I, I love you. Um, yeah, you too, man. Uh, Appreciate it. You bet. And uh, is there any final thoughts that you would, we would like to put out there? Uh, maybe there's a guy who's he's struggling with the twelve step thing, and and he's been invited yeah. to groups, and he knows he should go. And, and, you know, but, but he's got all these questions and, and, and stuff and, and fears. What would you say to that guy, John? Maybe that guy's listening. You know, just give it a shot. Go to a meeting. Right. Um, give us, you know, shoot us an email at, uh, at the Purity Report. Come and check it out. We have, you know, a 12-step group for those dealing with pornography addiction. Um, it's a private group, so you have to ask to join it, and then we'll let you in, and then we have some great materials that we use. Uh, we use When Lost Men Come Home by David Zeiler, who uh, is head of Operation Integrity down in Southern California. By the way, if any of your listeners are in Southern California dealing with addiction, want Christ-centered 12-step recovery, look up Operation Integrity. they got some of the best meetings around. We really craft our meeting at our church after Operation Integrity's meetings, and they're excellent. Um, we're not an Operation Integrity-branded meeting, but David really kind of, he and I have a relationship, and he has really been a blessing to mentor me um, in the 12 steps and, by extension, mentor our meeting 
in Christ-centered 12-step recovery. So it's some of the best stuff around. So look up Operation Integrity for certain. Um, and his, his literature is very good, too. He's written a couple of great books on 12-step Christian, Christ-centered 12-step recovery. So There you go, man. Very, very good. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Thanks again for being on the podcast. I wanted to end with, uh, you know, the serenity prayer, <laughs> oddly enough, because I've really, my heart has really warmed to it. Um, uh, our pastor, the pastor of, of Marshall Church was talking about this, and this is something I totally, um, I straight up stole from him. And he was talking about how, how Christians especially get confused over, you know, this sovereignty versus our will, you know, uh, yeah. the Erasmus, you know, <laughs> the theology, Martin Luther thing. One of the, one of the books yeah. that I was really struck by was the bondage of the will and how our willpower can become a kind of bondage. And that's certainly mm-hmm. true. But also, it, to, to just say that you could just pray it away, it, 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 you know, right. I mean, sure, that that does happen. But, again, we worship, we do. So it, it's like two pedals on a bike is, is how Pastor Mark put it. Um, it it's mm-hmm. our will and his sovereignty. It's our faith right. and, and him loving us. It's realizing that God is, is loving, that he is kind, you know, the taste yeah. and see that we would get close enough to, to pedal that side and then let him do his part on his side and then and this the trust in faith the opposite of faith is fear you know and uh yeah read to, read the, the chapter on the sovereignty of god in the knowledge of the holy by aw tozer um right he does a really good job of explaining the two in a way that doesn't rob god's sovereignty nor does it end up in uh hyper-calvinistic you know Right. Uh, fatally. Well, let's close this out with, this, with the serenity prayer there, John. Let's, uh, let's put the cap yeah. on this puppy. And... All right. Well, uh, I don't have the entire thing memorized, but I'll just go with the classic stuff that everybody knows. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things that we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. All right. Amen to that, God. All right. I love you, man. And uh, Russia out. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Jesus, friend of sinners, we have strayed so far away. We cut down people in your name, but the sword was never ours to swing. Jesus, friend of sinners, the truth's become so hard to see. The world is on their way to you, but they're tripping over me. Always looking around, but never looking up. I'm so double-minded. A plank-eyed saint with dirty hands and a heart divided. Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, open our eyes to the world at the end of our pointing fingers. Let our hearts be led by mercy. Help us reach with open hearts and open doors. Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Hey, yeah. Yeah. Jesus, friend of sinners, the one who's riding in the sand. May the righteous turn away and the stones fall from their us to remember we are all the least of these let the memory of your mercy bring your people to their knees nobody knows what we're for only what we're against when we judge the wounded what if we put down our signs crossed over the lines and love like you did oh jesus Sinners, open 
Sinners, break our hearts for what breaks yours. 